0: Hey listeners, do you enjoy movies? So do we. And that's why we record Nerds on Film,
1: our weekly podcast where it's just us sitting around making jokes and talking movies. In fact, if you guys have not subscribed to that already, you really should. I'll wait. Have you done it yet? You haven't? What is wrong with you? You're super lazy, right? Jeez, we made it really easy. You just go to Nerdonomy.com and you click the freaking iTunes button. Stop procrastinating, get off your lazy ass, and go do it. Thank you. Sound check, sound check, checking mic one. Sound check, check, check two. Sound check,
0: checking one, one, two.
2: All right, folks. Here we are again. Another week. Another
1: week with Dave.
2: And we are ready. Here we go. History of DC. I'm so excited. Washington, DC.
0: Here we go. All right.
1: Um, How much uh, much research have you guys done?
0: You know. Uh, You know, a fair
1: amount.
2: Yeah. Decent. 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 Decent amount. Good. Yeah, so Brian, kick it off.
1: You know, um, I I would love to, to kick it off, but you know, actually, I feel like, Eric, in this podcast, I'm more the straight man, and you're more the real history guy, so I think, you know what, I trust your research, I think you should start off.
0: Totally, totally,
1: uh, yeah.
2: Well, you know, I'm, I'm honored, I think that's great, uh, that you all hold me in such high esteem, but you know, it's it's um, just not, not fair, really, for me to do it all the time, and considering that Dave was just in D.C., and he's our guest on the show. Ooh, I think uh, it makes
1: absolutely perfect sense. You know, that, that's the actually day a, day a really talking. wonderful idea. Dave, Dave, please, we'd love to have you to take <laughs> uh, the wheel on this
0: one. Right, right. So the topic was uh, D.C., D- Washington, D.C.? Yeah, right? Yes,
1: the District of Columbia. Yeah, please enlighten us. What was that like? What, what did you learn?
0: I learned that there... ...were lots of historical buildings in which lots of historical things of America happened.
1: Uh-huh. You went to D.C., right?
0: Yes, I did.
1: Did you do How... any research um, for tonight?
0: Of course I... Uh, of course I... Brian... Ah, uh, no. Not at all. Not a lick.
1: Well, do Brian? I had a really busy week. I, you know, on on Monday I had to uh, wash my hair. On on uh, Tuesday I had to prune my dog. On uh, on Wednesday you can do the, you can you can do that. Well, can cl- do that. C- clearly neither one of you are prepared, so I
2: guess we'll just have to scrap the episode. I guess I was the only one who who was um, well. In please way prepared. Uh, yeah, I know. No, I'm please, okay please, with you just talk air. for an hour and a half. That's no, no, fine. no, no, we'll, no. no we'll chime I w- in. No, no. I I don't feel that's necessary at all.
1: Um, you didn't no. do any research either, did you? No.
2: It's a hard topic! Welcome to
1: Nerds on History. I am Eric Brickmont. And I am Brian Moriarty. And tonight, joining us for a very special episode, for multiple reasons, our friend, our fellow nerd, our brother and companion, David McGuire.
0: Good evening nerds on history nerdlings I thank you for taking me in on this hot hot night allowing me to share the wisdom of the
1: Okay oh, Thank you. Okay, don't ham it up. Yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry, sorry. <laughs> this is let's, not Shakespeare. Let's, let's bring it in. This is nerdonomy. Uh, right. Let's just so I would love to how's do that it going? today we will talk to you about an important part of history. <laughs> part of history. It was on this day, in 1571, that the King of England ordered to his servant to have the first ever peanut butter sandwich. To which the order was read dramatically.
0: (laughs) And it was read by George Washington Carver.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Never mind, he was not born for another 300 years. (laughs) He had he also invented. He also actually he did find a way to use peanuts to make a flux capacitor.
0: I was going to say that George Washington Carver <laughs> was actually a time lord. Uh,
2: I believe that is true. I think he was actually the original Doctor before William yeah. Hartnell.
1: That would be great if, we, if I only put that in. Did you know in our April Fool's episode? Did you know that George Washington Carver used peanut oil to make the world's first flux capacitor? <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we get started into our topic, uh, we, of course, have some great listener feedback that we'd like to share with you. Kyla, one of our most loyal listeners, as we've talked about, she is neck and neck with your Aunt Teresa, Eric, for number one listener. It is
2: a photo finish. Uh, the jury's still out. It has yeah. not been de- uh, decided yet.
1: I mean, for those who haven't figured it out right, Kyla is a very close friend of both of ours. And she actually sent me a very interesting piece about um, Judaism. We had talked about how... Uh, when we're talking about um, bat mitzvahs, mm-hmm. how in more liberalized conservative Judaism, um, it was not uncommon for women to get up in front of the and in, in the congregation and take part in the service because they just weren't rabbis. And it turns out um, there's an article in the LA Times that she sent me that uh, it goes back to 1985, actually February 16th, when a rabbinical assembly. Voted to allow women to be rabbis, like you, un- like universally in conservative Judaism, women were allowed to be, are allowed to be rabbis now. And I did not know that. It was uh, very, That's awesome. very interesting. Yeah, um, I had no
2: idea. I don't think I've ever met a female rabbi before.
1: I've met a few. Yeah, really? Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. It's wildly common in Reform Judaism, um, but this was uh, pretty unique to because con- conservative Judaism still keeps to pretty, pretty strictly to the laws of the Torah, well, uh, but. I'm- they're just more liberalized when it comes to equal rights of sexes.
2: I'm curious, though, because in, in Hebrew, you have a very uh, distinct masculine and feminine uh, for many words. And I'm, do, is there a female version of the word rabbi?
1: Well, the word rabbi just means teacher, right? That's all it means. True, so, but there
2: are also, you know, uh, variants for male and female teacher in other languages. I'm just curious if it's the same in Hebrew.
1: That's an excellent question, and I wish I had the answer, but unfortunately are Jewish I not. Jewish listeners, if you happen to know Hebrew... Please let us yeah, know. Yeah, please. If you're an expert in Hebrew, let us know. That would be awesome. Um, that's the only piece of feedback I have. Although there there was one other that I think we got this week from we, the we, Facebook page, right?
2: Well, we do have another email from Cam. And, uh, you know, our listener has some great things to say about the Philippines uh, and the way that boys are being circumcised at a specific age, uh, closer to 12 or 13, which is... Pretty much the exact same age, and yeah, I'm going to tie it into ancient Egypt that they did uh, with with ancient Egyptian boys.
1: Yeah, and it's also about the same age they do it in Turkey and in uh, many parts of Islam as well.
2: Yeah, so it's not not totally uncommon, um, but it is a I can imagine a lot, much more frightening procedure a little bit yeah i don't remember and there you go a little bit of sharing with my uh, listeners out there but uh I, I don't remember when the procedure was performed to me because i was a baby obviously and i have no yeah. recollection of that well
1: i think in, in western medicine it's pretty much done like the day of your birth like you you never notice it because you're you know maybe only a few hours old and your body is processing so many different things right now and it probably won't even register the pain because it doesn't even know how to identify pain at that point uh, it's interesting, though, because in so many of these cultures I've noticed, and
2: even in America back 100 years ago, uh, a lot of the coming-of-age rituals that involve boys oftentimes have them dressed, though, in very almost feminine-type clothing. There's a picture of my grandfather, who was a, a very, very young child, maybe a year and a half, just able to stand, and he was having his uh, formal picture taken for his uh, for his baptism. And he was wearing a dress, like like a girl's dress and bonnet almost. And apparently that was extremely common 100 years ago that little boys were oftentimes dressed more or less like girls, even for their, their baptisms.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a garment that you wear that's like a long tunic, and it looks very dress-like. And actually, there are boys are still worn in that today when they get baptized. I'm yeah. pretty sure I was—well, actually, I was baptized twice. Did I ever tell you that story? You're baptized twice? I was baptized twice. Yeah.
0: So does that make you like a super duper Christian? <laughs>
1: um, it's, or Catholic? It's a it it does make me a very rare double Catholic. Yes. What it
2: means is that he can convert to another religion, but he still can come back only one more time.
1: There you go. You see. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, actually, without getting into too much detail, because it's not really relevant to tonight, um, the circumstances under which I was born were very. Um, very extreme, and uh, we 're actually a little life threatening so um,
2: well, anyone born on Krypton had a very very life threatening
1: <laughs> Eric, I thought you weren 't going to tell my secret to the world
2: oh oh damn it. It's that new Superman. Now movie. I have it's to got, heat no, vision. up. Now I have to
1: heat vision off your no, okay, never mind. We'll just move <laughs> forward past that. So um, I was gonna to say your arm hair I was gonna say your arm hair. You're gonna have to heat vision off your arm Thank hair.
2: Thank God I didn't know where this was going. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, my parents being Catholic, they, they had a uh, the chaplain at the hospital baptized me uh, in my infancy. And then when I uh, had gotten out of the hospital months later, we did a formal baptism ceremony. So that's why I was baptized twice. One was more of an emergency situation, the other was a more formal uh, ceremony at that point.
2: They laughed at the Catholic church for making emergency baptism kits, but you know, pay I off. I have one actually. There you go.
1: I told you that, right? I was just yes. going to
0: say like, Were you born possibly during an apocalypse where they were like, we need to baptize this child immediately? (laughs) Because if this doesn't happen, he could become the Antichrist. Well, you know, there's an old
1: Catholic superstition, and not to make this about Catholicism, as I tend to do, um, that if you you die unbaptized, the baby doesn't go to heaven. It goes to a place called Limbo. Uh, The Catholic Church has officially done away with that logic. Um, but at the time I was born, it was still kind of a widely practiced thing. So I see.
2: Well, I do want to just quickly finish up with Cam's email um, because Cam goes on to state that uh, girls oftentimes have their ears pierced as a rite of passage, as is not an uncommon here in the United States, but mm-hmm. it's very, very uh, common in the Philippines. Uh, in addition to their 18th birthday, which is kind of like the Sweet 16 in America or the the or quincianos as we learned in our uh, previous episode. Uh, in Mexico, so all definitely worth mentioning. And thank you very much, Cam, for uh, enlightening us on the traditions of the Philippines.
1: Yeah, a lot of those interesting parallels with around the age of twelve or thirteen kids having those those rites of passage.
2: Well, it's the time for it, I guess.
1: Sure. Now, um, I mean, we don't really have a segue, do we? That's okay. We'll just go with it. So, <laughs> well,
2: we do have a segue. The segue is our incredibly funny cold open, which has ever so slightly rings of truth in it.
1: It's yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a improv comedy and a, little, a lot of truth. Um, <laughs> we we and intended today to do a history of the District of Columbia, and we thought it'd be great because David had just had to go there for a business trip for his job. It was going to line up perfectly with within about a week or so of the Fourth of July holidays, and unfortunately, it just didn't work out. None of us had time to. To research enough to really go for it, unfortunately. Yeah,
2: it was a pretty crazy week for everyone here at Nerdonomy. Nothing crazy bad, listeners, just you know, we just had a crazy week. Everybody had things going on in their personal lives that China And I gotta say, I
1: really inspect I, I really respect our integrity for not to, not trying to wing it, not going through and just saying wing a prayer, let's let's make this happen. We what we instead tried to do was we pulled another concept together, which we thought was really great. Uh, we had done our List week in history a couple months ago and we thought what wouldn't it be interesting if we do this week in just US history.
2: Yeah, and it was a, it was a great episode. I had a lot of fun doing it, and we're so very knowledgeable just on so much general information that a lot of the research that we did, we came across stuff that uh, is is very interesting. Who knew it happened that week, and that we could just kind of talk to it off the cuff?
1: So of course. Now before we launch into it, though, I think it's really important that we talk about what happened last week, right?
2: Right. Well, we kind of have to. It's the elephant sitting in the room.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And wait,
0: you guys have an elephant in the nerd cave?
2: We didn't want to tell you yet, because we just got enough donations for Uh, it, but yes...
0: Please tell me his name is Peanuts. Uh, it is now.
2: See, Brian, that is such a better name than Hypodermic Needle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, the puns. Okay, so, uh, what's really important? Of course, July 4th, we all know, July 4th, 1776, the Continental Congress of the United States declares its independence from the british monarchy well that's the most basic thing we can talk about but what i always was fascinated about was the resolution of independence do you guys know what i'm talking about enlighten us the resolution of independence was the was a very short one paragraph binding resolution that the continental congress voted on that agreed that they would declare independence to begin with because as we uh what a lot of people don't know is that was a hotly contested issue amongst the Continental Congress. They there was a lot of heavy debate over whether we should. I remember from the Joan Adams miniseries, which uh was a very historically accurate film series. Of course, not you can't get it a hundred percent right, but
2: but surprisingly historically accurate.
1: The two the two colonies who they had a hardest time convincing was New York and Virginia. Yeah. Right? And uh, it was just a fascinating thing, because you think, you know, they all agreed that things were bad, but, you know, they just did, they couldn't make up their mind on it. And it was kind of a last minute decision where they had to go by each colony and vote for who was going to uh, vote for it. And the only reason they got it to go through, and it had to be unanimous, was um, they got the representative from New York to to abstain. he he actually got him to be not present. So that he could—it um, wasn't from New York. It was one—I can't remember what. I believe it was New York. Was it New York? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they had gotten him to to not be present, so therefore, because he wasn't present by abstention, it would have been an, an, an unanimous vote.
2: Well, of course, we'll never really truly know the outcome because he he wasn't there. Being a you know typical New Yorker, he just uh, he missed his cab.
0: That's very true, actually. That is for you, New York. I love you, Brian. You can at least smirk.
2: That was funny. <laughs> Oh, fine, go on.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Self-righteous cinema. Uh, no, no, I'm just, giving you, I'm just giving you a hard time. I'm just playing as well. Um, and then on July 4th was when the formal declaration was dated. It was not actually formally signed until months later. Like, it was signed, it Wasn't well, some people signed it on yeah, the 4th. S- certain
2: but, delegates signed it on that day, but but many others, uh, it was dated, and they ended up having to sign their, their names later.
1: Exactly. But what brings that into uh, this week in history, July 7th, July 7th, we move forward um, 88 years to 1865, because on July 7th, 1865, the four conspirators uh, in the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln were hanged.
0: Now, the, the question to ask everyone is, can you name those four conspirators? Let's play a game out of this. I'll I'll, I'll be your game show host. Welcome to Conspirators Have Been Hanged. I'm your host, Flip Wilson, and I'm here with uh, Brian. Brian is a uh, former college student, recent graduate, welcome. And uh, Eric is a uh, former museum guy who uh, loves spending time talking about Egypt. Hi. (laughs) Okay. So your question for the evening is... The four conspirators of the Lincoln assassination were... Brian.
1: Uh, who was John Wilkes Booth?
0: Oh, that is correct. Can you name the other three for the extra bonus points? Uh, no, I'm A- sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. We're going to have to pass that off to Eric.
2: I believe it was uh, Jonathan Wilkes Booth, Johnny Wilkes Booth, and John John Wilkes
0: Booth. <laughs> I'm sorry that's not accurate not even in the slightest. Damn it. Wow. Embarrassing.
1: I'm I'm just, I'm really nervous. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> that's okay. This is my Roll first time my- on a
2: fake game show, okay? So just 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 <laughs> give me a minute.
0: Okay. Pulled together okay. here. Okay, but seriously, do you guys know who the uh, four conspirators are? I'm well, gonna be
1: really honest with you. No.
2: Yeah, and it can't be John Wilkes Booth because he was he, shot. He wasn't hung.
1: He was one of them. Unless, wait, did they shoot him and then hang him? That wasn't actually. That was not that uncommon.
0: Well, no, they shot him in a barn and then they burned him.
1: So how did he end up and getting hung? And then they hanged them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> just to be sure. <laughs> so I was just in DC. And I got to go and tour the uh, Forge Theater. And so what I I had no idea about was that um, shortly after, um, I was always under this impression that after John Wilkes Booth shot and killed Lincoln, he jumped from the booth to the stage, broke his leg, and then he found a barn that was nearby and that's where they chased him and they ultimately killed him. It actually took them 12 days to hunt down uh, John Wilkes Booth. And what they originally wanted to do was to kidnap him and murder uh, him at the Confederate capital. This is like a a big, Lincoln
1: you're referring to. Th-
0: this is Lincoln. They wanted to capture Lincoln, and that was like their big plan. That was that was their big way of showing that like, the South was you know right and that the South was mighty. Um, but before he could go ahead and do that, Lee surrendered, and the Confederate capital crumbled. Mm-hmm. So John Wilkes Booth is like in a state of massive depression. About this, And so what he decides almost on a whim is he finds out that Lincoln and Mary Todd are going to go out and see our American cousin playing at the Forge Theater. This is Lincoln's way of kind of uh, rebuilding his marriage with Mary because, you know, their relationship was certainly strained because of the Civil War. And so he was stressed. She obviously being not so balanced and the war and him not really giving her all the attention that I think she kind of needed. There was a lot of Tension between the two of them. So this was their way of kind of rectifying that. Um, and so word got out that that was happening, and literally the plot to assassinate him took place over the over an eight-hour period. And not only were they supposed to kill Lincoln that day, they were also trying to kill the uh, the vice president as well as another member who at this moment I- is escaping me. So uh, the four conspirators were as follows. Um, you had Mary Surratt, who was the only woman in the entire trial who was actually hanged uh, for her crimes. She actually gave them the um, boarding house in which they kind of conceived a lot of their plans. Mm. Um, you had Lewis Powell, David Harold, and George Adderzant, A A-D- T Z E R O D T, and so these these four conspirators were the ones that had primary effect. Um, and I believe George was actually the one that was supposed to murder the vice president, but he went to the hotel that the vice president was at, chickened out, got really drunk, and then, and then just left. Because <laughs> he couldn't do it. That's so
1: awful the meeting afterwards. Did you do it? <laughs> yes. Did it? Did you? Oh, thank God. So, where's the body? Um, mm, what body? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you meant
2: there's gin and tonic because I did like 14 of those. <laughs>
0: Now there were four, there were three other people who were kind of implicated because they um, like most famously Samuel Mudd who is the doctor who took John Wilkes Booth in and um, kind of harbored him. And ultimately, it was his barn that um, John Wilkes Booth was found and killed. Um, so um, he was not sentenced to death. He was sentenced to life in prison, along with Samuel Arnold and Michael O'Loughlin. Um, but those are the four conspirators who played major parts in this in, in this very quick scheme to kill Lincoln. Um, you should definitely check out a book that I start, that I picked up while I was there. It's called Manhunt. Uh, the twelve-day chase for Lincoln's killer. It's written by James L. Swanson. Wonderful book. Um, it reads like a fiction novel, even though it's all based on historical accounts and 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 you know uh, statements that we're taking and, and so on. Does not read like your ordinary history book. So if you have a chance, check it out. Uh, it'll it'll be worth the read. I have
2: heard of that book. It's supposed to be quite excellent, and Take- it's it's on my list of uh, books to check out this summer. And uh, you know, I find it ironic though, considering these individuals who were involved all wanted to be known they wanted their identities to come out they were planning on you know the lincoln assassination in its truest form the form that they had intended it uh, after kidnapping him yeah, it would
1: have made them more heroes yeah and it would have been a rallying
2: cry for the south and it would have been uh, a deep blow uh, to the to the union now whether or not Things were already set so much in motion, even if they had kidnapped him, you know, three, six months beforehand, uh, you know, the North probably still would have won, but it may not have been a much more difficult battle if they had really succeeded with their plans. Yeah. And yet, with the exception of, you know, of Mary Surratt, uh, John Wilkes Booth is really the only recognizable name out of the whole lot.
1: Yeah, I'm going <coughs> to guess that, because um, you were mentioning there was, there was a, a plot to kill a third member. Yes. I'm just going to make an educated guess here and say it was probably the Secretary of State because the rule that it falls to the Speaker of the House um, after the Vice President was actually uh, amended uh, to the Constitution later. So by that point, if the Vice President couldn't act, actually Secretary no, of State it was would have been next in line. Hmm.
0: Powell attacked Secretary, or uh, I guess William Seward? Yeah, yeah, he was the Secretary of State. You were very right. So
1: There you go. There so, you Brian, go. you're wrong right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, what I also found interesting, just to talk a quick second about the assassination... First off, I know we have different views about the movie Lincoln, but um, I felt so horrible for that scene at the end when you find out his son was in a, a theater down the street watching a, another play, and he had to find out by the announcer. Yeah. No one came to him first. He had to find out his that he had been, his father had been shot, like everybody else did. And I imagine that did a number on him. Um, but one little historical detail, since you mentioned Mary Todd Lincoln for a second. If you notice in that movie, they never refer to her as the First Lady, because at that point in time, First Lady was not an actual formal term. You notice that she actually asked to be called Madam President at one point in the movie, and that's actually 100% accurate. Hmm. The Wife of the President, up until I think the late 1800s, was referred to as Madam President. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. Never knew yeah, that. Or, well, Mr. and Mrs. on <coughs> un- the that She preferred Madam, so Well,
2: there you I, go. I know that we, we started out uh, a little bit forward after the Civil War, but I wanted to talk about uh, real quick, for the same day, July 7th, 1863, the United States actually began its first military draft. That's the very first time that our military ever drafted anyone into service. And if you had $300, you could be exempt.
1: But $300 in 1863 was would have probably been somewhere like in the tens of thousands for today.
2: It would have been a lot of money. But what I'm saying is that, uh, you know, jump forward to NOM, uh, and you know you, you didn't have that same kind of money buying people you, you out. You didn't
1: have that option, yeah.
2: Well, sometimes you did. Sometimes it bought you a position somewhere else, but you were still getting drafted, and you were still getting yeah. In I the, think
0: in the I think with NOM, if in some cases, uh, if you showed that you were actually a student, um, you could actually uh, be exempt from um, having any sort of affiliation with the war. So
2: yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of kind of interesting draft <laughs> rules over the years. Um, I think that most of them, though, by the time they're in effect, it's it's worst-case scenario. So, you know, in the Second World War, if you're, you're the last surviving male member of your family, you get to go back. Well, whoop-dee. That means that all my brothers that got sent off to the war are dead, and my father just died. Yeah, Yay! Yeah, you know, exactly. it's not exactly, you know, no matter what, you, well, these exemptions are yeah, usually I mean, pretty negative. World usually.
1: War II, the draft of World War II, I mean, the rules were a lot more... I mean, they were taking men up into their early 40s. They were taking anybody they could you know, to get into um, the war effort at that point. You yeah. know?
2: Anyway, I wanted to, to mention that. And also, perhaps most importantly for this day, in my opinion anyway, uh, in 1928, sliced bread is sold for the very first time in Missouri.
1: I've got a couple of interesting ones. And Sliced bread. Sliced bread. Top that one, Brian
0: um the beetles are bigger than sliced bread right isn't that the, the the motto
1: i think it's bigger than jesus but
2: sure
0: that's yeah i'll so we'll that, that get
2: them in trouble i think if it was sliced bread there would have been only a couple of really
0: angry missourians <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that would be so great if they're like well i think the beetles are a little bit better mm-hmm. than sliced bread and i all mean missourians are like what m- missouri erupts you, and riots
1: i mean let's, let's st louis is on fire let, <laughs> let, let's be clear here this is pre-sliced bread this is not like saying people up at that point were just breaking off the loaf or just eating entire loaves of bread. Like, oh my god, I'm so full. <laughs> you know, you know. Um,
2: but this is the first time that you didn't have to worry about screwing it up.
1: Yeah. Interesting to note, butter sales doubled oh. after that.
2: <laughs>
1: and of the toaster guys, was shortly thereafter. Com- was it not?
0: Guys, I have this great combination. Okay, go with me. Slice bread. Okay, okay, where are you going with this? And butter. Oh, my God. I ha- Where is the butter? Where is the bread? I must try this. <laughs> that
1: makes so much sense. <laughs> you, know?
2: you know what doesn't make sense? And this is completely and totally off topic, but I'm going to go there anywhere. Is my father's favorite snack. Have I ever told you about no. this? No. So he loves toast uh, with a layer of apricot jam. Okay. 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 Uh, and then on top of that is placed anchovies. Ugh. And then on oh, no. top of that is placed oh, cheese. <laughs> and that is my father's favorite snack.
1: I'm going to hang on for a second because apricot is actually a good balancer to overly salty food. So I actually could buy it. I could buy it.
2: Wait, wait, wait. What, I'll have what, him prepare what, it for you then. What Keep kind in mind, of cheese? Uh, the last time I saw him eat it, it was that strange kind of speckled mixed cheese, but in slice form. You know, it kind of looks like it's a mixture of Oh, marble? Che-
1: it's almost like a Colby Jack. Yeah. It's a little uh, odd. But, um, uh. Keep
2: in mind, though, my father completely lost his sense of smell when he was eight.
1: So his sense of taste is far diminished.
2: I, I, he, I, I don't know. I, I think the fact that he can't smell what he's eating is probably just a benefit in of itself. No,
0: no way, Brian. I, I, I have to say that his in order to have that kind of combination of foods, your, your, your sense of taste or your taste of anything has got to be still intact. <laughs> like you know, just like I can't just imagine anybody with with no like taste buds at all that just goes. You know what I want to do? I want to combine apricots, fish, and cheese on a piece of bread. <laughs> Why? Because I can't taste it anyway. So what's
1: <laughs> the look on David's face at the computer screen is really really funny. <laughs> I gotta say.
2: Well, um, I'll pass it on to my father. I got a couple more <laughs>
1: interesting factoids for July seventh, Dave. Do you have anything else that you want to add?
0: Uh, I wanted to kind of go a couple years back and say that in uh, 1846, the Mexican-American War, American troops occupy Monterey and Yerba Buena, thus beginning the U.S. acquisition of California.
1: There you go, yeah. Oh. You know, um, there was a great <coughs> piece on CBS this morning a couple months ago when they dealt with Cinco de Mayo, and they talked a lot about how, you know, half of the landscape of what we think of as, as the United States came from Mexican-American War. Remember, Alta California was not just california it was also nevada arizona yep. utah uh, new mexico mm-hmm. tech a uh, good portion of texas not all of texas but i think a good portion of texas um pretty much what we consider the southwest of the country was one in that incidentally interesting correlation those are all the similar states that have uh issues with undocumented immigration too so i find the uh, interesting that there's that whole thing and then yet Hundred years before that, would have, that country would have been theirs to begin with? Yeah, you know? hundred fifty years ago would have been that country theirs to begin with. So anyway, very good point. Yeah, yeah. So um very interesting. Well, thank you, sir. I've got one. Nineteen oh seven, Florenz Ziegfeld Jr. staged his first follies on the roof of the New York Theater in New York City. So, Dave, you and I have done theater together numerous times. You know who Ziegfeld was, right? Not at all. Isn't that a beer? Really? Sorry, I uh, thought it was a blimp. No, that's a zeppelin.
2: Now, if he had done his folly drunk while on a Zeppelin, that would have been fascinating.
1: (laughs) I guarantee you guys know who a folly is, because if you were to look at a folly, you'd say, oh my gosh, because the follies were these women who had these extraordinarily elaborate headsets, and these big headdresses that were like peacocks, like they were wearing peacocks on their head. Literally, it's what it looked like. And there was actually, they, they called it the Ziegfeld Walk, because when the women float out their hands... And push them to their sides and they do that they did that to keep balance <laughs> that was oh. that's why they did the zig walk because the head was dressed was so heavy and so elaborate that's all they could do to prevent from falling over
2: another interesting side note the chiropractors in the area actually referred to money as Zigfels.
1: <laughs> you are just oh you're just three in zi- for I'm zi- in the
2: zone <laughs> I hey
0: I liked it I thought it was funny thank you I'm sure there's oh. one other listener who agrees
1: with you but thank you <laughs> Um, so, and Ziegfeld, for those who don't know, was one of the most powerful Broadway producers who really kind of helped elevate New York theater to the status that it is today. He produced lots of major works. His Follies Review, um, launched the career of Will Rogers. It launched the career of, um, Burt Williams. Um, and more importantly, he actually was the co-producer or was the producer behind the play Showboat which is the the bridge musical, but was considered what brought musical theater into a modern era, where it became more about the story and less about the spectacle of music and getting cheap entertainment. And that was also a very important part, because at that point in American history, in many states it was illegal for an African American and a white person to get married. The whole show deals with the whole act of misogyny. and I believe we talked about this in the theater episode. We did. Episode. No,
2: well, actually, I believe we talked about it in our civil rights episode. We probably
1: talked about it both times, yeah. And you know, Wait, we should... but
2: that makes it the third time we've talked about it, which means we can never talk about it again.
1: Where, where was that rule made? I don't know. I was just kidding. Sorry. Go just ahead. now. I think we actually should do a whole episode on, on Showboat, but that's probably they'll be in the future.
2: Yeah, that actually sounds like it would be interesting. I would actually like to see a rendition of Showboat. Uh, first, and I'm, we might be able to
1: find something. If, oh, we can find something. Can always watch the movie. But. We can throw something together. Yeah, I promise. And um, then, go ahead.
0: Oh no, I was just going to say um, I had a couple. I had two that I wanted to mention because I, I mean we don't have to dive too too deep into these. But uh, the first is 1946. Howard Hughes nearly dies when his XF-11 spy plane prototype crashes in a Beverly Hills neighborhood. Oh, that's
1: right. Which, which
0: uh, wh- if you had seen The Aviator, which I think Eric was just about to say.
2: Actually, I was going to say the uh, the. XF eleven is uh, also notorious
1: for being the worst spy plane ever.
0: <laughs> well, Howard Hughes pretty much just uh, proved that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, and you're gonna say it's one. It is a that scene that Martin Scorsese depicts in that film is harrowing, and Leonardo DiCaprio does a brilliant job playing that scene. I was like, oh my god, oh my god, you know, that whole time. For me, that moment was that, that really got me is when he burns his hands trying to get off get out of the canopy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, yeah. That scene's always engraved in my head.
1: Oh, man. Um, But
0: the second one I wanted to mention was in 1954, Elvis Presley made his radio debut when WHBQ Memphis played his first recording of Sun Records' That's All Right.
1: Well, that's all right, mama. That's all right for you. That's all right, mama. Just anyway. There you go. And you know Birth of the King. It was all right. And he was so big because why? He was the first music personality to use sex appeal, right? To, at least male to, to use sex appeal. Him and... Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa,
2: You're telling me that Beethoven did not have sex appeal? <laughs> Raw <laughs> sex Well, okay, appeal. you know...
1: You know Maybe right? maybe. Those you know, we, little
2: powdered curly wigs. Can't, I'm just you know, saying.
1: We can't all be Franz Liszt either. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, um, of course because, not. I mean, come on. Um and you actually think I'm funny, but Listomania, that song by Phoenix, actually that was actually a real thing. Like women swooned over Liszt. Seriously? He did because the way he played the piano was so like involved, and you know he would get into it. And he was almost like literally the first headbanger because his hair was long. <laughs> And he would get so involved when he was playing, his head would rock back and forth as he was playing. It was, apparently it was quite striking. Apparently. Uh, And women would pass out. So anyway.
2: It would actually take, it would take a full 45 minutes for women in the audience to to throw... (laughs) You were thinking the same thing I was thinking. To
1: unhook their corsets (laughs) and throw them at the
0: stage. Yes, exactly. Which means, back in those days, you know that if you saw a corset on the stage... List it was well worth it. <laughs> and also, underlying fine print was that you are now married to that wench.
1: I just love that, because I think of this one, oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Five minutes later, I'm still doing this. <laughs> Jesus Elizabeth, Jesus. are you
0: sure you <laughs> want to do this? Oh, no. I, I, this must be done. He must see my corset.
2: <laughs>
1: How do I do this inconspicuously, <laughs> um well ladies and gentlemen <laughs> we do have we do have one more before we move on to the next day do you have one more too
2: no go ahead okay Let, let's dial it back actually okay, i'm going go say ahead. something go ahead go ahead no no you, you you do your thing and then i'll say my
1: thing uh, the last piece i have is 1981 but this is a big one uh president ronald reagan appoints sandra day o'connor to become the first female member of the supreme court of the united states
2: Gosh, July 7th was a freaking busy day for history. That no
1: is kidding. That is
2: crazy. Uh,
0: if I just may add just one more thing, because it is pertinent to how we are even doing this podcast. 1990, World Wide Web, born by Tim burns lee a researcher at CERN, developed hypertext markup language, which later would be called html
2: there you go well let's do this one thing at a time <clears throat> he was british Let, yeah well let's talk yeah. about sandra day o'connor because that that is pretty huge
1: yeah very very big deal first obviously first woman on the court to be followed by ruth bader ginsburg sonia sotomayor and elena kagan now uh who are still on the court so to speak um sandra day o'connor retired about nine years ago i think i think it was john roberts who took over her well her yeah That's true yeah 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 Yeah. Very controversial because she, while she is a mostly conservative justice, she supported the Roe v. Wade decision, even though she wasn't. I mean, she was just a judge at that point, but nevertheless, she, if she was on the court, she would have voted in favor of that. And there were a lot of conservatives uh, who were not a fan of Reagan for making that decision because Reagan, of course, was a very conservative Republican. So it kind of was uh, struck a chord within a, a little bit of a. It lit a fire under a few butts in, the, yeah. in America when that happened.
2: There you go. But, you know, of course, back to David's point, the the very fact that uh, HTML itself uh, really came into existence on that day, was born to the world on that day, is, is pretty significant. What what day was that?
0: That was uh, July 7th, 1990.
2: Oh, sorry. I, I meant to say year. But, yes, 1990.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting to note, only, it took only two days for the adult film industry to figure out a way to use it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey boss, I have this new thing. It's called HTML. I'm already on it.
1: <laughs> we, it is.
0: We've already great. got videos. We got gifts. We got everything. <laughs> we invented the word "gif" just because it makes it sound more cool.
2: <laughs> there you go. So yes, July seventh was a huge day. Now I don't know about you guys. I don't have a whole lot for every other day in this week, which is probably good considering how long it took us to get through the f- yeah. First no day of kidding. The week.
1: No kidding. we only got a couple of uh, of choice. Pieces for um, the rest of the week, but that's fine. Let's let's power through them, shall we?
2: Yeah, I say for the sake of yes. time, uh, we we maybe hit on two or three for each week. And I've I've got one, if that's cool with you guys, to start sure. off uh, July eighth uh, in nineteen forty seven. Reports are broadcast that a UFO crashes in Roswell, New Mexico, <whistles> and unknown whistlers started plaguing the nation the same day.
0: And that Sorry, is Brian. one of. <laughs> One of the many conspiracy theories that will plague the world for the rest of humanity. It's an interesting one, though.
2: And, you know, flying saucer mania had been going on for a while, just before all of this really went down in Roswell. And one of the biggest events actually occurred over our nation's capital. Uh, And it was seen uh, by the president. It was seen by, you know, members of Congress. It was seen by people all around the District of Columbia uh, a series of disks and lights floating through the sky. And it is probably a much more significant event in terms of actual mass sightings of UFOs than the Roswell incident uh, ever was. Yet Roswell is what always gets talked about.
1: Well, Roswell gets talked about because we supposedly not only believe that a UFO crashed there, but there's there, there of course, is the alien autopsy video from the 1970s that the, no, the, no, that wasn't from the
2: 1970s. That 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 was a hoax that was done in the 1990s. That was 1990s. But was narrated by believe,
1: Jonathan Franks? Didn't they believe that the footage was from the 1970s?
2: Uh, they believed it was from the six or from the 40s. Oh, I'm from sorry. From the okay. actual My UFO apologies. crash. But that's all very uh, long since been uh, disproved. Oh, of I mean, course,
1: of course. But there was that level of speculation. You know. Yeah. Uh, it's really fascinating, and I'm no, sure it, it, it happened, guys.
0: It legitimately happened.
2: Oh, okay. I have to correct myself. Excuse me. It was actually uh, the events occurred on July nineteenth and the wee morning hours of the twentieth in nineteen fifty-two. So, I pardon me. Uh, what I'm referring to uh, with the uh, the uh, UFO incident in Washington D.C. actually took place after def- after, but nonetheless, I, I think my point is still valid in that you know the the UFO phenomena and craze of the of the forties and even before that in the thirties was very much in my opinion, induced because of hysteria caused by the war.
1: No, oh, probably, yeah. Uh,
2: and there's a whole lot of misidentifications going on, most likely due to military planes, and, uh, you know, I know weather balloons has been thrown around for Roswell or what have you, but uh, ballooning technology was being used by the U.S. government uh, and the U.S., uh, not the Air Force, but the Army Air, Air Corps at that time uh, for spy missions and for testing that equipment uh, here on the, you know... Over the the soil of the United States before it was ever used anywhere else, so there were plenty of opportunities for misidentification. I just think it's so funny that we still, after all these years, hold on to Roswell though as being this uh, this major event in, in ufology, as it's called. Uh, that's because it is okay, Dave.
1: <laughs> yeah, which of course we find out is uh, we we discovered to be true in the 1996 film Independence Day. That's <laughs> exactly, what I'm saying, yes.
0: guys obviously Roland Emmerich is a Time Lord who is just giving us bits and pieces of the future. This stuff's real, man. So first
1: George Washington Carver. Now Roland Emmerich. (laughs) Next thing you're going to tell me is that Keanu Reeves uh, is a Time Lord.
0: No, no, no. He's just the one.
1: (laughs) Let me just say, though. Let me just
2: say it in closing. Um, And we talked about this on on our episode on Conspiracy Theories that I, I don't really believe that Roswell was... Anything related to UFOs, I just don't see the evidence for it. Uh, I don't, in fact, believe that aliens have ever really visited the Earth. I can't say that 100%. I do believe that intelligent life exists outside of our solar system. I do not believe that it is stupid enough to come to Earth. And I will leave it at that.
0: Fair enough. And audience members, if you want to write your hate mail to Eric, (laughs) he lives at blank, blank, blank...
2: Fake street. Fake streets,
0: <laughs> Or you can just email me. <laughs> yeah. At the Brickmont at He just dropped the mic, guys. Pick that mic up.
1: <laughs> okay, so I got a couple quick ones. Uh, 1948, just a year later, uh, the United States Air Force accepts its first female recruits. I think that's a big one, right? Starting to see more women in the military. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and then just a couple years ago, Space Shuttle Atlantis launched its final mission uh, in the United States Space Shuttle Program.
2: That's also known as one of the few times that Eric Brickmont has
1: cried as a grown man. It's true. I was not there to see it. The you were looking very it? morose that day at work I will say.
2: yeah well, I was pissed off all that week. I still am yeah. <laughs> yes it you know again I'll say my I'll get on by soap, soapbox in a minute here, but the United States space program is extremely important. The Apollo program and its predecessors Gemini and Mercury prove that. That it was a stabilizing force for our nation during one of its most turbulent times. And it is something that today, in our turbulent times, can be a stabilizing force again if Congress would put enough money behind it. And the money does exist. I know that we are in an economic downfall right now, right? But we are recovering. And one of the best ways to help the nation recover as a whole is to create jobs. One of the best ways to create jobs, as we saw in the 1960s, is to support the aerospace in, uh, endeavors that NASA is is putting forth.
1: Yeah, because you end up getting these, the invention of technologies that find their way back in the consumer market, right?
2: Yeah, not only that, but you know, you you end up creating a whole uh, new series of jobs for people. You know, there, there's so much work to be done. You you've got to outsource. You can't just you know hire from within, so to speak. You've got to look to other companies and other. Uh, you know uh, industries who are then going to you know need to bolster their ranks to get what they need done so they're going to hire
1: yeah i mean and it's all across the board too you know you're talking yes you've got i mean there's a lot of engineers right but you've got avionics engineers electrical engineers uh physicists of course to figure out the the logistics of how they actually get there yeah um but everything down to I'm sure. Hey, look, that's going to create much more of a mess. We're going to need more custodians to to to, uh, to clean up. You know, it's gonna it's going to create growth for everybody if that were to happen.
2: And you know what? Go to the moon. Look for mineral mineral resources on the moon. Go to asteroids.
0: Go to Mars. Why not?
1: Why that would not? It'd be huge. But the first time we've ever stepped foot on another planet, right?
0: Well, another well, terrestrial to be, fair, are... to be fair, there is speculation that they. And I don't know how real this is, but um kcbs ran an article or or ran a story about how they are predicting that there would be life our life our foot on mars around 2035 2040 so much so that paypal has already begun an initiative to create a new faction of paypal called paypal galactic
2: yeah i've heard about this
0: where you will no longer have paper money you're just going to be basically using paypal as your means of currency
2: Great, the PayPal wants to get to the news. Perfect way for them to do it. Oh, absolutely. Doesn't help us get to Mars. Yeah, PayPal put some money behind the technology to get us to Mars.
0: PayPal, okay. why don't you and Richard Branson like team up and figure out a way to make this possible? I mean, obviously, I mean Richard Branson is like all sorts of in space yeah. right now. It's kind
1: of funny because he called his startup Virgin Galactic right. He was you no know, consumer space travel. Right.
2: We were going to do it. We had the Orion program. On pace and on track. We were gonna to go to the moon, we were gonna go back to the moon, we were gonna develop technologies to help us live on the moon, and we were gonna take that and we we're gonna use that to springboard ourselves right on over to Mars. And they mothballed it. And it pisses me off. And ladies and gentlemen, that is Eric Brickmont legitimately mad. Let's move on. That's you angry? That is me mad. Oh my god. This is a this is a topic I am very, very heated about, and uh, Okay. I don't want it to, to taint the flavor of the episode. That's fine. So let us move
1: on. That's fine. July 9th. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No way to segue out of that. Um, July 9th in 1776. 1776, you say? Yes, indeed. That date sounds familiar. Well, let's talk about why, shall we? Uh, George Washington ordered the Declaration of Independence to be read out loud to members of the Continental Army in New York, New York for the first time. Washington, of course, had only just shortly before been named the commander-in-chief of the United States. Before that, he was just a British colonel, right? That's yeah. all he was.
2: And a wealthy Virginian landowner.
1: Yeah, so he was made general, not by the British military, but in fact by the Continental Congress of the United States. So, I um, don't think they formally called themselves the United States at that point, did they? I don't believe so. No, I think they just said of the states at that point. Um, 1850, U.S. President Zachary Taylor dies and Millard Fillmore becomes the 13th president of the United States. And uh, another great one, the super, super important one, in 1868, the 14th Amendment gets uh, ratified, which gave African Americans full citizenship and all persons in the United States the due process of law.
2: Of course, it would take 100 years before that was fully realized, but it was the starting point. Yeah, absolutely. And that that is what is necessary to, to, to find an end. You must have a start.
1: Right. Well, the 15th Amendment was the one that gave them the right to vote. Um, But the 14th one was one that made them U.S. citizens. Correct. Yes. Uh, And, of course, the 13th one was what actually abolished slavery. So, just Um, for those who didn't know.
0: For us nerds, right, because we are a nerds podcast, uh, on July 9th, 1981, Donkey Kong, a video game created by Nintendo, is released, and the game marks the debut of Nintendo's future mascot, Mario. Granted, Nintendo is a Japanese-based company. However, the magnitude that this game would have on the American pop culture is just enormous.
1: Absolutely. It's
0: absolutely enormous.
1: Right? Because when you get in an altercation with somebody, what do you say? It's on like Donkey Kong. Right? (laughs) It worked their way into the American lexicon. Um, But also, you know, this is, I'm sure, a a ritual day for video game nerds all around the world. Tantamount to uh, Christmas, I imagine. I'm just making that up actually, but I'm just I just wanted to Oh no, it's to, clear that you are. <laughs> the, I, just wanted, I just wanted to to really emphasize the importance of it. And I failed. So um, <laughs> the birth of Mario and the birth of Jesus. July tenth Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. July tenth.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Those are pretty synonymous, at least to my And if you work. would like to send your hate mail to Brian... Uh, don't. Um <laughs>
0: to david After at this episode,
2: After this episode, we'll have a whole episode on uh, nerdonomy hate mail. The very first <laughs> <laughs> the very first, segment we will have for that.
1: Oh my god. Uh, if someone can do it just to say that they, they did it, but actually not have anything hateful in it, that would be amazing. Um,
0: Careful what you wish for, man.
1: I just asked for a fake hate mail, so I don't think I, I don't have anything wrong with it. Um, okay, so July 10th. What do you guys have?
0: 1821,
2: the United States takes possession of the newly bought territory of Florida.
1: And on that day, the orange juice industry was founded.
2: Uh, That and the very first retirement facility came into effect.
1: (laughs) That's actually very
0: true. Uh, A side story is as soon as we bought it from Spain, lots of retirement communities just kind of popped up everywhere. And that's when you actually see the first golf course. People think that it was Scotland. No, no, no. America.
1: Interesting. In I did not know that. Cross-parallel
2: cultural development. They just sprung it completely <laughs> independently of each other on different sides of the globe.
1: There you go. But they they you've the same word for it. Go figure. Yeah. Um, going back about 50 years to 1778 for a moment, in the American Revolution, Louis XVI of France declares war officially on the Kingdom of Great Britain, thus establishing their formal union with the, the colonies and... Having an official ally in the Revolutionary War. And
2: helping us win several
1: key battles by, uh, you know, providing us with uh, with arms, providing
2: us with provisions, and providing us with naval support.
1: And training, too, right? There were, I mean, not that Washington wasn't an an adequate military.
0: I will say, say, in order to fight any war, you certainly need to have arms and legs (laughs) in order to be a viable. Soldier. So, yeah. it, it, thank you, Louie, for giving us that that capability. Slightly
2: different arms. Uh, they weren't providing us with prosthetics. They were they were giving us guns. Little so joke
1: from Family Guy: the right to bear arms. I don't understand why people <laughs> t- t- misinterpret it. Everyone has the right to bear arms, they're holding two <laughs> two furry clawed. What <laughs> has the right
0: to bear have a, a pair of bear arms on their wall? I don't get it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So. Very interesting, and of course, if it wasn't for French naval power, that we wouldn't have been able to win the war. Indeed, I got uh, two
0: for you. In uh, eighteen ninety, Wyoming is admitted as the forty fourth state uh, of the United States. Good old Wyoming. And I've driven through Wyoming once. Very flat, I hear. That's all I have to say about that.
1: <laughs> 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 and Nothing against Wyomans. Oh, there goes
0: all of our Wyoming listeners. No, Wyomingites. Thank you, Brad.
1: Whatever you call them. Um, uh, I believe
0: they're just referred to as wise.
1: I do know that there are more wise. people in the city of San Jose than, are, than there are in the entire state. And well, they really, really love to mount animal heads on the wall. Yeah. Well, who doesn't? Yeah. Well, what, with the hotel we stayed at when we were uh, driving from California to, to Denver, but yeah, we've so many animal heads. And all kinds. Not just like mammals. Birds.
0: I'm sorry. What hotel were you staying at? The Bates I the motel? Motel? The motel. I believe <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't like they were into taxidermy. It was just they liked to, you know, cut off heads um, or have stuffed heads. Anyway, so I guess it is a little bit of taxidermy, isn't it? But I, when I think of Norman Bates, I think of birds, like full on birds, not just like the heads of birds. Forget this. 1913, Death Valley, California. What was so significant about this day? Well, the temperature was recorded to hit 134 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, which um, to this day is the highest temperature ever recorded in the United States.
2: And my father is recorded as saying, gosh darn it, I can't believe I missed it. Why? Because my father's favorite place in the world, I kid you not, is Death Valley. And he prefers it when it is well over 120.
1: Is that where you get your imperviousness to heat from? Yes. Seriously.
2: Um, Anyone who knows my father knows that my father... He he's like a dragon egg. He he he's nurtured fodder into it. Yes. Oh my god. He's nourished by fire. <laughs> if my father was in a burning building, he would complain about how
1: drafty it is. It's funny cuz the first day I'd be like, "Um, I'm about to suffocate. Can someone get me out of this, please?" <laughs> yeah, he would ask for a respirator and then see if he could still stay in the building. That's, That's my dad. Unbelievable. Yeah pretty big because over the weekend it got to 128 in death valley which was one of the highest it's ever been recorded um certainly the highest in recent years yeah i mean we're noticing unprecedented heat all over the country right now due to wild extremes and weather and uh, that's a whole other uh, podcast in general but there's a lot of people who believe that that's a supporting argument for climate change so um let's just let's just agree that it's hot it is definitely hot. It
2: Can't is- disagree with that.
1: Exactly, it's too darn hot. Now so I and- find
2: it interesting though that in 1938, uh, just a few days and a few years different, Howard Hughes sets a whole new avionics record. Not only does he crash and survive a, a uh, you know a spy plane incident, but uh, he also ends up completing a 91 hour airplane flight around the world. Wow, yep. 91 hours.
1: Wow. So, like, the, just the simple logistics of that are, I mean, other than just the sheer aeronautical feat that he could keep the plane in the air for that long, unbelievable. But also just the, the small things, like, how did you go to the bathroom? Well, this is where eat? his
2: fascination with urinating in jars came from. I'm completely making that up, but you know what? That could have been believable. They, it makes very sense. much so, because
1: of how eccentric he was. I mean, he barricaded himself in his mansion, right? Yeah, became a complete rec- recluse. So, so let's jump
0: yeah. ahead to uh, July 11th here.
1: Is oh. here. I was going to say the Chicago Freedom Movement. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was July 11th, 10th as well. Or do you have it down as July 11th?
0: Oh No, you're right. That was 1966.
1: The Freedom Chicago Movement, uh, which was led by Martin Luther King Jr., holds a rally in, at Soldier Field in Chicago. What's kind of cool about this is that there were 60,000 people in attendance. But it was also attended by Mahalia Jackson, Stevie Wonder, and Peter, Paul, and Mary. It was, it was a concert. So kind of a neat thing when we see these different Pop culture icons, there with a, a major historical figure as well.
0: Um, so moving ahead to uh, July eleventh, in eighteen o four, a duel occurs in which the vice president of the United States, Aaron Burr, mortally wounds former Secretary of Treasury Alexander Hamilton. Always made famous by the uh, by the Got Milk commercial about the gentleman who is eating peanut butter and is trying to win the radio contest. I remember that contest, I remember that commercial as being one of the best ones I've seen.
2: And once again, peanut butter is undeniably
1: woven into the fabric of American history. <laughs> see, uh, see, time machines, and um, there you go. The, the vice president, yeah. Thank you, Ryan. That was,
2: <laughs> that was terribly insightful.
1: Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, the big one, and a, a really big one because that was the first time that the vice president was or no, a no a member of the executive branch was put on trial for murder you know and it was a duel and it was also one of the first times that executive privilege was declared I pr- i'm pretty sure washington declared it at some point in his presidency uh, and i'm almost certain that adams did too but this was uh, a major time where jefferson did it because there was documents that believe the prosecution believed led up to the duel, meaning it was more premeditated. He declared privilege, and eventually he had to come in uh, to to give in and, and release the documents. But definitely one of the earliest political scandals uh, in the United States, I would say.
2: Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, I will say that in 1962, Project Apollo, at a pros- press conference, uh, announces that we are going to the moon and we are doing it with LOR, or Lunar Orbit Rendezvous. What does that mean, and why is that important? Well... Previously, when folks were thinking up a delivery and then return vehicle for actually getting us to the moon, the concept was a single vessel, something that would leave our atmosphere, land on the moon, and then take off again and come back. And it just was not practical for a lot of different reasons. For the mathematics behind it, for the weight behind it, for the engineering behind it, it just didn't make sense. And there were many ideas that were thrown around for Lunar Orbit Rendezvous. Uh, Several that took many years before they actually kind of came to fruition and and came into existence. But ultimately, the idea became, okay, well, we go ahead and we send a module up into orbit. It will have on it, in its payload, another device that will actually be the lander. It'll also have a return aspect to it that will shoot it back up into orbit around the moon, uh, where it will rendezvous back with the vessel that took the crew there and then bring them back home leaving behind a part of the ship so we don't have to bring everything back we can leave some stuff behind and we can save weight and this was tricky because it included so many firsts that had never been done and included so many variables and included so much danger and yet they were able to accomplish it in a very very short amount of time Uh, and when the public first heard about this there were many people who were highly skeptical that they would ever send someone to the moon let alone send somebody to the moon and have them return back alive. That the crew could very well land on the moon and because they would never really truly tested it on the lunar surface not be able to come home and they would die and their bodies would remain up there as this terrible reminder that we never made it back and yet it became eventually celebrated and ex- accepted and it is uh, still today if we were going to go to the moon probably the way that we'd do it.
1: Yeah and there you have
2: it. Um, um, I do think
0: uh one not to uh diminish the power of what uh Eric had just said but for all sports enthusiasts uh, in 1914 on July 11 Babe Ruth makes his debut in the MLB which was a huge uh pop culture and sports uh, obviously um but uh certainly
1: does not Trump uh the uh the idea of going to the moon. So was this he cuz I know he played for three teams. He played for I believe the Atlanta Braves, the Boston Red Sox and then the Yankees, I he, think. Of course, the Yankees, right? So I think this must have been when he was at Atlanta. It must have had to have been Atlanta because I, I know he he retired from the Yankees when he retired from, from baseball. Um, any sports nerds out there? Again, it's a bit of an oxymoron. But if you uh, – any baseball nerds out there probably are um, – I can tell you right
0: now. He uh, played for the Boston Red Sox in 1914 to 1919, New York Yankees from 1920 to 1934. And then he spent his last year at the Boston Braves.
1: Boston Braves. Okay, so they moved to Atlanta later on. Gotcha. Okay, thank you. So I got the teams right. I just got the, the timings mixed up. Cool.
2: And I got to say, if it wasn't for Babe Ruth, we would have never had the Sandlot.
1: Do you That's guys know uh, what day he was born? What year he was born? Who, Babe Ruth? Mm-hmm. No. February 6th, 1895. Why do we know that? Because my birthday is also February 6th.
0: 1895. Brian, you hide your age well.
1: You're not a time traveler? Nope. So you've been lying to me. Yes. (laughs) Wow. Completely.
0: Um, To jump ahead... Goodbye. I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) To jump ahead to July 12th, the War of 1812, which everybody knows as being a very significant war in American history, um, the United States invades Canada at Windsor, Ontario.
1: Yeah, and why did they do that? Because, well, for those who don't remember what the War of 1812 was, it was when Britain said, oh yeah, about that whole independence thing. Yeah, we're gonna need that back. Um and they attack Washington DC. The White House is actually bombed or it's burned down. It's burned. It's Along burned.
2: with much of Washington DC and most of the major monuments and uh significant yeah. buildings the, in the outer, outer frame
1: capital. of the White House was actually unharmed. It was just singed and they just painted over it, but they had to rebuild the inside of the White House all over again. Um also the reason why they attacked Canada, not because we don't we don't like Canadians, uh but is because Canada was still largely a British Colony at that point. Did you guys know that actually under the Articles of Confederation, Canada had the the option to join the United States at any point in time? they we extended that welcome to any of the colonies who wanted to secede.
2: Hmm. Can you imagine what the nation would have been like?
1: Uh, a, lot, a lot friendlier, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it
2: would have been a lot more polite, like
1: <laughs> okay, I got another one. On uh, 1921, former U.S. President William Howard Taft is sworn in as the 10th Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, being the only person ever serve as both president and chief justice and he actually felt that he did more as chief justice than he did as president yeah he felt it was he had a much more significant role
2: well it's interesting is and i joked about this earlier but i did some more research and it turns out i am correct uh the robes for him were the largest ever made for a member of the supreme court yeah well
1: cool, because he was also i mean he has a couple of unfortunate records he's the largest man to ever be president of the United States because he was like 300 pounds plus. Um, And I think, not a very tall guy. Or maybe, no, he was. I think he was. He was just this this, uh, giant human being. Um, I do
2: have to say, though, for the record, I was kidding again. I made a joke... Off air, made a joke
1: on air, and it's still a joke. And I just, I, for, for the sake of full disclosure, <laughs> yeah, but I just have to say I, I, that. I know it's a joke, but it's probably true, it, though. That's the, that's the funniest part. Yeah, it's more than likely true. And I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I remember hearing a story that he got stuck in the bathtub while he was president. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's um, actually a
0: photo of uh, the construction workers, inputting his, or the workers putting in his new tub, and there's like five grown men that are in that tub, sitting comfortably. Wow.
2: Yes, uh, Taft was recorded as saying, it's a
1: bit snug.
0: <laughs>
1: wow, that's unbelievable. I don't know
2: why I have such hate for Taft. He, he, you know, I apologize to the descendants of Taft and uh, to his
1: ghost. May you not haunt me. Thank you. Yeah, the, yeah. That's as true. I'm
0: sure his descendants are are avidly listening to Nerds on History. There are some
1: people who <laughs> do believe his ghost haunts the White House, um, as the people believe that the ghost of Lincoln does as well. Okay, well, let's skip forward to July 13th. If we have nothing else, on that day in 1923, the Hollywood sign is officially dedicated in the hills above Hollywood, uh, Los Angeles, California. Of course, do you guys know what the original full sign said? Hollywood Land. Hollywood Land, exactly. But the four last letters were dropped off after a renovation in uh, the late 40s.
2: What I will say, though, in, in conjunction with that, is on that same year, on July 14th, was the very first time the sign was neglected.
1: Are you joking? I can't tell.
2: Yes, I am. Okay, sorry. I am. I am. I apologize, listeners. I'm in a funny mood tonight.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just just like it's. There's been so many this episode. I can't. I can't tell anymore. Um, 1985. Vice President George Bush becomes acting president for the day because Ronald Reagan had to have some polyps removed from his colon. So, uh, common procedure in uh, national politics as well as state politics. Actually, whenever the president is to be incapacitated by the rules of the 25th Amendment. He must pass power over to the next in line. So he writes a formal letter saying, I pass power over to you. And then eventually when he wakes back up, it's formality for the person who has power to write a letter uh, giving the power back to it's the president. It's funny
0: you mention that because there was actually an episode of um, The West Wing where Martin Sheen's character is shot and he's unable to write that. So for literally a good two hours there's like literally nobody running the country and it's like a whole like uh, to do about it and that's kind of like one of the main focal points of like the beginning of the second season yeah
1: well there was actually a whole de- debate over that when reagan was um shot too because bush was not in washington at the time and there was a lot of speculation of who it was they thought it might have been a communist plot so the secretary of state tried to try to run things and caused a bit of a a scuffle because he actually didn't know. He didn't know his constitutional enough to know that that had already been amended and that it was supposed to be the Speaker of the House who was uh, temporarily in charge if the Vice President was not able to fulfill his duties. Ronald
2: Reagan's colon. How wonderful. (laughs) We have reached new heights here on Nerds on History.
1: Yes, sir. We are discussing
2: Ronald Reagan's colon. Ronald Reagan. Uh,
1: Another February Sixer, actually, as it turns out. He and I also have the same birthday.
2: Well, I sh- certainly hope you don't have similar colons, or else your life. I will be certainly hope not Unfortunate either. going forward.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, very very interesting acting. They, they made it very clear it was acting president, right? Uh, when well, I think it was was it John Harrison, the first president who died in office. I think when Zachary Taylor took over from him, because they had never had a president die in office before. It was implied that there would be an acting president, and that they would you know they would figure out the president thing later on. He was the guy who said, no, 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 I am not acting president. I am the president. And by simple tradition, and then, of course, later it would be determined in the 25th Amendment, that he assumed full powers of the presidency. And uh, everyone just kind of went with it. V- very, very interesting. And that actually concludes all the seven days. But we have, I have a little bit more for July 14th, if you guys are cool with that.
0: Yeah, sure. I had yeah. a couple on there, too, that I want at least one I want to mention.
1: For the 14th or for the 13th? For the 14th. Okay, cool. Another, in, kind of a darker moment in American history in 1798, the Sedition Act becomes law. John Adams, as president, signs it. And um, it was the first bill that made it a crime to write, publish, or utter any malicious statements about the United States government. Uh, it was one of the first attempts by the United States government to limit free speech. And uh, kind of sad, actually, when you think about it.
2: Yeah, it did not go terribly well for his presidency. No, it
1: actually ruined his presidency, I would say. Uh, it was that and I think the uh, peace treaty with France... Yeah, was what really cost him all all of his political capital, uh, and he lost to Jefferson in the in, in his attempt to be reelected in
0: 1881. Billy the Kid is shot and killed by Pat Garrett outside Fort Sumner.
1: Oh, there you go! Wow, I didn't know that.
0: Well, that's why we're on Nerds on History, Brian.
1: <laughs> what else you got for us, sir? That's all I got. Oh, oh,
0: okay. <laughs> that was my one big moment. Actually, no. Uh, one thing Eric wanted us to mention was that uh, the United States, uh, in 1969, on July 14th, the 500, 1,000, 5,000, and 10,000 dollar bills were officially withdrawn from circulation.
1: Which is really interesting because even those levels of bills were pretty much only used for like by banks directly, and they were used for. Uh, well, I know there was actually like $100,000 bills they would do at one point, Just, but that was just for bank-to-bank transfers. They would never be publicly given.
2: Yeah, but uh, a few hundred billionaires in the world all screamed out, how am I going to light my cigar now?
1: <laughs> how am I going to break this? Are you going to give me 20s? Are you going to give me hundreds? You do you know how many? <laughs> walking into a convenience store, you hand a $10,000 bill and ask for change and he just hands you the lease. <laughs> can you break Can you break a 10000 No? Um, So, so, I got one more, actually. It's probably a good one to close on. Joseph C. Wilson, does that name ring a bell with you guys? Not at all. No. Okay. He was uh, a U.S. ambassador, and he had written an article that was critical of our invasion of Iraq in 2003, and Washington Post columnist Robert Novak um, kind of leaked deliberately That his wife, Valerie Plame, who we now know of as the leaked CIA operative, and kind of a very dastardly thing to do. And I mean the other word that sounds like dastard that has a different, different consonant in it. Um, (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, that's kind of a messed up thing to do just to discredit the opinion of it. And this is like a, a reporter, you know, you're supposed to be defending people's freedom of expression, right? You're, you are a representative of that. Uh anyway, th- not to get too much into opinions here, but that's just but that's just that strikes a really bad chord with me personally.
2: Well, if I may,
1: please end it on a more positive note. Please then, do so.
2: And bring us back to the American space program. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Which I will
2: I will end on a positive note, I promise. Okay. In Real 1965
0: quickly, Sorry, just to interrupt to kind of back up Brian's point, if you want to watch it, there is a movie by uh Doug Lyman. Uh, that is about that whole situation starring Naomi Watts and Sean Penn called Fair Game, go check it out. It completely talks about that entire thing.
2: Thank you, movie nerd. Yay! Yay! Back to space nerd. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 1965, Mariner 4 takes its flyby of Mars and takes the first close-up photos of another planet, and I hope one of many, many more to come.
1: Yeah, we had talked about other um, ones that they had done later on, earlier on in our April week, this week in history episode. But I think it, was, it wasn't Mars; it was other planets. I think it was. Well,
2: uh, we were talking about the uh, the Mercury Seven, is what we were talking right, about exactly so getting yeah. into orbit, uh, and then they actually sent this little guy to, to Mars to take pictures, and of course the Voyager spacecrafts later, and uh, all the many different missions that have gone to Mars and Venus and other other bodies in our solar system. Yeah.
1: Holy crap, a lot happened this week. Whew, I'm tired. You know, it always goes to show that I think when we look at these days, something interesting happens every single day in this world. And what seems like something minor today, tomorrow, is the next major event in history. So I encourage you guys to go out there and look up what happened on this day on a more regular basis. I think they even have mobile apps that tell you what happened on this day in history. There's a number of websites that do it as well go out there do some research Uh, correct us if we're wrong by the way right no we're not perfect we always say don't take our word for it we mean it and uh tell us what you think tell us what you want to share about this week in history because a lot of interesting things happen from american history lots of things happen in world history that we didn't talk about Uh, lots of really interesting things happen in world history so yeah do that please dave dave thank you thank you good sir as always for joining us
2: on the show we love having you on absolutely uh you know it's always always enriching always enlightening to have you uh, on the show
0: It was fun, a lot of fun.
2: And uh, ladies and gentlemen, as always, of course, you can find us at our website, nerdonomy.com, where you can click on our Listener Feedback button and share some thoughts and ideas with us, in addition to clicking right beneath it and giving us a lovely donation. uh, We want to send a special thank you to all of our donators thus far. We have received our air conditioner. It has been installed in the Nerd Cave, and we are putting it through its initial tests and trials at the moment. Next is a ceiling to capture the cold air, something we probably should have thought of beforehand. However, <laughs> I could guarantee you that Nerdonomy engineers are hot on it, and uh, with hot glue guns and cardboard, we will get a ceiling one day. <laughs>
1: indeed, indeed. And plus, actually, I will say there's another reason why we can do donations. And we talked about it uh, in the film podcast. Um, for those who listen to both, as we know, that David is helping us spearhead a new in- uh, initiative within Nerdonomy to produce video content. And Dave is actually going to be taking a back seat on the podcasts. Uh, he'll still be on as an occasional guest, um, but you're going to be producing and writing uh, a lot of the content. And, we'll be, and I'll, we'll, we're both going to tell produce and direct it, I think. But that's going to be his primary focus. And any donation you guys can give will help add to the production value of those videos. Um, Absolutely. <clears throat> and believe me, Davey and I have done film projects before. We know how to do things on a shoestring budget really, really well. But, you know, you'd be amazed how much a little bit of money can go toward making the lighting look great, you know, do some great sound, um, and to, you know, f- honestly, costumes and food for, for people who are, might be helping out the set with holding that stuff.
2: Yeah, and we're not asking for a lot. You know, just take us from shoestring to maybe bootlaces.
1: It doesn't have to be that much. <laughs> like, seriously, you know, $500 can go so far. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and I mean from one person, not from a. Not <laughs> um, I kid, of course, any, any amount that you guys can offer, like Eric says, um, would be greatly appreciated. And, of course, to keep maintaining great podcasts that you hear on a weekly basis. If you like to hear more of that, of course, you can subscribe to us both on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Uh, and until next time, of course, guys, stay nerdy, and we will see you next time, same nerd time, same nerd channel, Nerdonomy.com.
2: Bye-bye! Bye-bye!